Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right. So this week, I'm joined by chef and owner of Backpackers Pantry, Soraya Smith, along with their newly appointed CEO, Dwayne Primazich, to talk all about what the next chapter holds for the family-owned company that's been keeping us well-fed in the backcountry for over 70 years now. Backpackers Pantry meals have definitely shaped my experience in the outdoors. Ever since I started eating them on backpacking trips with my dad as a kid, to wolfing down as many as I could get my hands on while through hiking the PCT, to eating them at ultras and on fast packing trips this past summer. And I think what stood out to me most during this conversation is how seriously both Dwayne and Soraya take their company's commitment to the environment and the lengths to which they're willing to go to do so, whether that's through powering their facility with solar panels, conducting sustainability studies on all of their meals and ingredients, or partnering with dozens of environmental nonprofits like the Conservation Alliance, Colorado 14ers Initiative, American Hiking Society, and many more. But before we get into that chat, though, I do want to take a quick minute and encourage you all to check out our Blister membership and all of the benefits it offers, including access to all of our flash reviews and deep dives, personalized gear recommendations to help you find the right pair of running shoes, discounts on a bunch of really sweet products we love, and a whole lot more. So check out our Blister membership via the link in the show notes. Also, if you've been enjoying the conversations I've been having on this show, please do us a favor and leave us a rating or review. Little things like that go a long way in supporting the podcast. So with that, let's get right into my chat with Soraya and Dwayne. Dwayne, Soraya, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the time. So I wanted to have you both on to tell Backpacker Pantry's story uh, in light of some big news you guys announced about a week or so. I think a lot of Blister's audience is familiar with your guys' meals and products um, as like avid outdoor enthusiasts. And I, I know Backpacker's Pantry's meals have been like very much an integral part of my experience with the outdoors. I think I grew up... Uh, you know, eating them, backpacking with my dad for the first time. And then I sought them out when I through hiked the PCT back in 2018. And now they've become a staple for me at various ultra marathons and, and fast packing trips. I, uh, yeah, I wanted to, again, have you guys on to, to tell Backpackers Pantry story and what you as a company are doing for the environment. Because I, I think that is a super interesting component of the company that deserves more airtime. Awesome. Great. Thank you. It's a story we love to tell. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought we could kind of start off by having you two kind of introduce yourselves. Um, How did you get on board with Backpackers Pantry and um, what do you do for the company? Um, I will start. I'm Soraya Smith. Uh, I have been the recipe development chef um, since 2010. I I got introduced through Backpackers Pantry through my late husband's family. Rodney was president of Backpackers Pantry for about 27 years and um, got introduced to backpacking food through you know being married to him. At some point, Rodney said, hey, would you ever want to be our recipe development chef? It's like a light bulb for both of us. I went to culinary school, um, got classically trained in all things um, 
culinary, came back and of course had to relearn everything because what we do here is very different from uh, a restaurant, but was able to um, learn our ingredients, learn our processes and have been recipe developing here since 2010. And Dwayne? Yeah, my name is Dwayne Primazich. Um, I have been at Backpackers Pantry for uh, about two months. My first day here was August 15th, 2022. Awesome. And what were you doing uh, before Backpackers Pantry? Yeah, so my entire career had been spent in the natural foods world. So, um, in fact, I had to count this up the other day. I have either started, been an executive at, run, or sat on the board of 23 natural food companies at this point. Obviously, I'm quite a young man, so some of those (laughs) ran concurrently. That's great. Um, So, why don't we back up a little bit? Uh, because Backpackers Pantry's story is pretty unique. So I'm wondering if maybe both of you guys could could give me that rundown. Sure. Um, So there was a woman in California in 1951. She started a company called Dry Light Foods. Dry Light Foods was a company that uh, provided dry light food for the Girl Scouts for their treks. At that point, they were using... um, perishable food or canned food. It got very heavy. It went bad. Uh, So Ann Benedict started this company providing what we believe was dehydrated or dried meals for the Girl Scouts. My father-in-law, Ron Smith, in 1971, bought the company from her and thus Backpackers Pantry was created. Of course, over time, it has shifted. We now use predominantly freeze-dried ingredients, not dehydrated although we do still use some dehydrated ingredients. And the company moved to Colorado in 1992 from California. And you've settled there ever since, right? We, we have settled here. You know, the Smiths um, have long roots and history in Colorado. And so the family migrated to California, you know, probably in the 50s from Colorado. And when the this company, American Outdoor Products and Backpackers Pantry, were growing, um, they decided they wanted to come back home, came back to Colorado. They, they saw a long-term vision for the company housed here in the state. What does that, that growth kind of looked like? Because I know, obviously, over the last 50 years, um, outdoor recreation has really like boomed. Um, so how has the company kind of evolved with the times? It's hard for me to address that since I've only been with the company since 2010, and it's got such a long legacy in the outdoor industry. But clearly, the the shift has been from MRE-type meals that may not have been that appetizing. Of course, I didn't have them way back when, to really a focus on gourmet food that you would enjoy eating in the backcountry with an eye towards nutrition, with an eye towards the aesthetic of food. Um, that you appreciate in your home, we want you to have that same experience in the backcountry. So, I mean, it's really, it's it's come a long way. And as the industry has grown, more people have access to the outdoors and more people have access to this food. What are kind of some of your, your main products that you guys offer since you kind of joined the company? Do you mean uh, specific items? Yeah, 2010 like, what, or? what what type of meals, I guess? Like if someone goes to Backpackers Pantry and, you know, what can they expect, I guess? Like what are some, some, some of your favorites? So the beauty of what we do is that we offer um, breakfasts, we offer entree meals, and we offer desserts. Um, we have a variety of 
vegan, vegetarian, and meat items. Um, we take a lot of pride in source the sourcing of our ingredients. Um, it's important to us that uh, we understand where our ingredients come from. So it's like going to the farmer's market. Our farmer's market just looks different than the farmer's market that you go to. But then we have this really beautiful selection of freeze-dried ingredients that I get to play with when I'm creating a, a meal. Um, what we do is we look at food trends. We look at how are people eating. We look at um, where there might be an opportunity in our lineup. Are we light on breakfast? Are we light on Mexican? Are we, you know? Um, so our innovation, our brand extensions really come from looking at uh, the brand as a whole and looking how people are eating and trying to, you know, address those opportunities. So um, we really have evolved as a company from, I would say, a meat and potatoes perspective to kind of a global flavors perspective. And understanding that people are more experimental in how they eat at home and at restaurants. And we wanted to reflect that. Yeah, I, I remember when I was uh, hiking the PCT, uh, I would seek out Kathmandu curry and would have like my my parents like <laughs> mail me boxes of it because <laughs> it just was so satisfying like at the end of a long day to have like that spice. And that's something I appreciated too is that, you know, I've had curries from other kind of like... MRE companies and uh, they're just kind of flavorless, but your guys is definitely packed a punch, which I, I very much appreciated. Thank you. And I, I think that's actually a really important point is that, you know, you are going to want something that's warming and spicy. You're going to want something that's creamy and rich. You're going to want something that satiates your, your appetite, but also fuels you for the next day. And I mean, I know that we all really believe here that food is as like good food is as important as good gear. And so it, it can't be the same thing every single day. Your morale will suffer. And that's part of the experience is getting that good food that war good food that warms you from the inside out and really fuels your next day. What do you think about uh, when coming up with a recipe? Like how much are you weighing like, oh, I need to I guess like source ingredients that are sustainable versus I need to make this like hyper palatable versus like I need this to be really calorically dense. Like are those all things you kind of consider? So like I said, I consider my farmer's market our dried goods inventory that we hold on to. That being said, uh, we have really good relationships with our ingredient vendors. I always want to see the newest, latest, greatest. There's a lot of innovation in the food space, as Dwayne and I both know. Um, so if we can if we can be on the forefront of new ingredients, that spurs our creativity in-house. To be honest, our innovation is really pretty collective in this building. Um, we talk about we talk about our favorite meals, we talk about what's missing from our lineup, we talk about what we'd like to see, and we try it. And some of it works and some of it doesn't work. Um, you don't see the stuff that doesn't work. Uh, but, you know, we feel like sourcing of our, our ingredients, sourcing domestically as much as we possibly can um, is an eye towards sustainability, understanding where our food comes from, and really paying attention to that. That being said, we look at nutritional facts as we go through um, our innovation process. So, so from ideation, 
a recipe goes through several different stages in-house, and we make sure that nutrient quality of our food is hitting the marks that we wanted to hit from a calorie perspective, from a protein content, from a fiber, from a sodium. You know, all of those things are part of the our consideration. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I think that like that's something I definitely appreciated too when I sat down after, you know, a long day on the trails that I could like pronounce every ingredient on uh the back of the package and it left me feeling pretty like invigorated the next day. I think uh a lot of a lot of like brew hiking diet is made up of like highly processed food like Snickers bars and an instant ramen that uh I think can definitely take away from from a hike. So getting my hands on uh, a meal from you guys when I could uh, was invaluable, I think, to my to my experience. So I mentioned that warms me. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I mentioned at the top of the show uh, that you guys broke some news about a week and a half ago. Uh, Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Dwayne, you were you were named um, new CEO. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually kind of uh, an interesting story, and my path to that seat was somewhat circuitous. In that, you know, Soraya didn't go post a job for CEO, you know, so uh, it, it requires a little bit of backstory. So Soraya and I have been neighbors for ten years. Uh, we live across the street from each other. Um, our our children were friends and and went to middle school and, and high school together. Um, and when Rodney passed away on January 1st of 2020, um, I went across the street and talked to Soraya and the boys, uh, on January 2nd, 2020, uh, and told them, uh, sincerely that anything they needed, whether, uh, personally or professionally, uh, I would be there for them. Uh, and, you know, and I, and I, I tried to, to live up to that over the subsequent couple of years. Um, to the point where Soraya and I would just, you know, we would meet sometimes, we would go walk around the neighborhood, we or I'd come into the office, uh, and I just tried to serve uh, as an advisor to her, um, just because my background, I had, you know, I had run a lot of companies, um, and really, um, I don't know, I don't do too much well, but I do know how to uh, run businesses. Um, so, it, um, that was fine. Um, and recall, uh, this was not a role that um, Soraya sought either. At, at Rodney's passing, um, the boys were a bit too young to take over the business. Uh, Ron, Soraya's uh, father-in-law and the boy's grandfather, uh, was not at a point in his life where he wanted to come back in and run the business. So, that fell to Soraya uh, to do. Um, which she did, uh, you know, for that couple of years, uh, but it was never an aspiration of hers. And so she called me um, earlier this year uh, and said, listen, Dwayne, you know, I, it's time. You got to help me find somebody to run this company. Uh, so I said, great, happy to do it. Uh, and she and I sat down with Ron, her father-in-law and uh, the boys, Tal and Aiden. And we just literally put pen to paper uh and started to write down the attributes of the person who would be well-suited to run this family business. Um, and of course, the, the very first item on the list was, you know, somebody that we trust like family. You know, this would be the first person in 51 years that did not have this the last name of Smith to run this company. So that was at the top of the list. And then, of course, we had things like, you know, understands how to run a business, has good business acumen, 
um, understands food and understands the manufacturing of food, has an orientation to outdoor and outdoor lifestyle, has an orientation uh, and a dedication to environmental stewardship uh, and making sure we take care of this place we call home. Anyway, the list was you know a dozen items long, uh, and. We met a couple of times and bounced around, you know, other attributes. And really, once we sat down and looked at it, we admitted to ourselves, there's no way that we're going to be able to recruit for this role. There's nobody that you just can't. You can't recruit for somebody that you trust like family. So I was at a point in my career and what I was doing where it was good timing for me to, you know, offer that up. And I think Soraya, if I'm not wrong, probably in the back of her mind was kind of hoping maybe I would come to that conclusion, um, which ultimately I did. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it, it really, for me, I, I've said many times that I, I am confident that the universe divined this marriage and that it really allows me to leverage this 20 some years of running natural foods companies in an environment where it, it also get, uh, allows me to get back to some of my own roots. Earlier in my life, I spent a lot of time working on environmental and social justice issues. That's how I spent my undergraduate years in college uh, out at the University of Oregon. Um, and so this really brings it all back and I get to do it with my you know neighbor across the street. It's a beautiful business. Um, so yeah, it's I think uh, we just couldn't have we couldn't have you know drawn it up any better. Soraya, can you take me through your experience making that decision? Sure. Um, first and foremost, I want to say I'm so grateful to Ron Smith, Rodney's father, who is the owner of our company and you know the founder of Backpackers Pantry, for uh, trusting me to to lead this company from 2020 until Dwayne stepped in. Um, you know, he had just lost his son. We have this legacy company in the outdoors industry. It's been in our family for a very long time. He trusted me. I took that really, really seriously. I, I also recognized I was not the right person to take this company into the next era. So I took my time. It was, you know, a rough couple of years personally, but then also just learning the business from a perspective that I hadn't um, understood it before. I had been in the test kitchen for over 10 years. That's my happy place. And so taking the time to learn how to run a business, reaching out to my mentor, Dwayne, and just asking him if he would mentor me and talk to me throughout the entire process. We gained a level of trust and understanding. I disclosed to him the things that you know were weighing on me. And over time, um, I realized it was my opportunity to step out in that role and to bring somebody who would take this company into the next era. And, um, and it had to be Dwayne. I mean, he, he said it very eloquently. From my perspective, though, it was I looked at him and I was like, it has to be you. I hope you say yes. <laughs> say yes, please. Um, and, and I do believe that this is the right path for this company, which still remains family owned, but it's no longer family operated. And I think that's, that's a big step. And we're here for the long term. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne, what does that next era look like to you? I guess that's a question to both of you. Yeah, uh, it's a great question. The because as Raya alluded, we're we always have been a family-owned, family-run business. So now we're a family-owned, professionally-run business, and that transition has to be done with great care and intention, right? The the last thing I want to do is come in here and you know blow the wheels off the bus, uh, and there's no need for that. 
probably the, the greatest privilege and luxury we've got here is we're making decisions on a generational timeline as opposed to a quarterly timeline. We have no investors in the business. It's 100% family owned. We have nobody to answer to except ourselves and this place, like I said, that we call home. The The stewardship of this company has been um, in parallel with a, an ethic around the stewardship of this planet. So this isn't just coming in and um, you know running a company and growing it and all that. This also, we have very clear objectives outlined around what are our, um, our goals around stewardship of the planet? Where are we? You know, we're a partner worth 1% for the planet. So, you know, we do put our, our money where our mouth is in that regard. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other examples of that. So, as you think about the, the business side of it, it is, I, I don't, we don't need to grow this thing. We're not going to go double it. We're not going to go triple it next year. We're going to have um, very disciplined, profitable growth as has always been the case for for the company. And probably most importantly, we're going to do that with a bunch of people in this building with smiles on their face. You know, as I, as I read the lists of folks that are have been identified as best places to work, whether by outside or any other of the folks that have their lists, we ought to be right at the top of that. You know, we've got... Uh, when I first got here, I asked for, you know, what do we do to make sure that we're taking care of our folks in this building? And, and what are we doing to inspire smiles on their faces? And remarkably, that list is pretty dang long already. Uh, and the, probably the best indication of that, we've got um, about 40 employees in the company. Our average term of service here is nine years. We have 10 people that have, been, that have worked for this company for more than 20 years. Our median term of service in this company is 14.7 years. So there are very few businesses that can hang their hat on statistics like that. So as I, as again, going back to your question, what do you do? You make sure you continue to serve the employees of this company in the same way the family has been serving those people for now decades in some cases. Really cool. And then on the stewardship side, the every bit that we can grow this company uh, and every consumer that we can turn on to this great food that Soraya makes is going to enhance our ability to turn around and really discharge our obligation to this planet in the form of our stewardship efforts. You know, sitting on the roof above Soraya and I right now are 391 uh, solar panels. We're 100% um, you know, solar powered here. So that helps us to draw down our uh, carbon footprint. We're looking at other ways that we can do that. In addition to making sure that we are putting resources in the pockets of our 1% partners, because there's a bunch of people out there doing great work that you know, we're not um, you know, particularly well suited to do ourselves. We, we have our, our, our business to take care of and, and those things that we can impact, but that we have to make sure we're supporting those other uh, efforts out there as well. So kind of a long-winded answer, but Soraya, anything you'd add to that? You know, I think the only thing that I would add is as consumers start to become aware of our food, if they hadn't been before, uh, how, how people are interacting with the brands that they love as they're going to the websites, they're starting to dig in, understand what that brand stands for. It just amplifies our voice of what we've been doing for so long. So the more we can attract people to our food, have them enjoy the food in the the open spaces that we all love, and then dig into really who we are. I think that just, it starts to round out the entire story. And it gets that flywheel moving. Like I said earlier, yeah. the, 
every consumer that buys a bag of our food is enhancing our ability to be environmental stewards. So, yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit more about um, being environmental stewards, and I'm, I'm curious what other kind of, I guess, like ways Backpackers Pantry kind of gives back. Uh, maybe like through partnerships. Um, you mentioned like you know running off of solar power stuff like that. Because uh, just looking at your guys' website, like it's incredible how many different organizations you guys um, have attached to you. Um, so we, so our philanthropy, our give back is um, under a few different pillars. So of course, we believe in conserving and preserving wild open spaces. We've been a longtime partner with the Conservation Alliance and really respect and support the work that they do in keeping wild open spaces available for people and not turn them into um, oil fields or whatever. Um, we also are very dedicated to food security food and you know fighting food insecurity. Basically, what we do is we provide food for people. So during the pandemic, uh, people did not know if there was going to be food in their grocery stores. Non-perishable, good tasting, and highly nutritious food was the thing that people really were looking for. So we understand the, the role that food plays in people's lives. We also are um, very de dedicated to uh, getting kids into the outdoors, especially marginalized populations. There are kids in our own communities that can see the mountains but never get to the mountains. And so getting those kids into the mountains, understanding their place or this place is also their place and that they deserve to be there is important to us. Um, I, I would interrupt just a, a, for sure. a second, Soraya. That also takes the form not just of you know financial resources that we're contributing to these efforts. Soraya and I have both served on boards of local uh, nonprofits that are doing exactly that work. Uh, in my case uh, and Soraya's case, the Thorn Nature Experience um, Sarai, I believe you've served on the board of Calwood, Calwood. Uh, and I think Soil too. And yeah. Soil, yes. Yeah. So, so I'm sorry. It's it's also our time and our effort and whatever expertise we can contribute to the efforts of these other folks out there doing doing great work. Yeah, Dwayne, you mentioned uh, that prior to getting into natural foods back at U of O, you, you spent quite a bit of time um, doing some environmental work. Um, I'm curious if you could say more about that. Uh, yeah, um, the back. So this was a long time ago, uh, back in the era where um, the University of Oregon was refer referred to as Little Beirut by Ronald Reagan, I believe. So this was a very uh, activist oriented campus at that time. Uh, I'm going back to the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and there were a couple of organizations on campus that I was quite involved with. Uh, and a lot of my time at that time, the North American Free Trade Agreement was being negotiated. Uh, but in my estimation and in the estimation of my um, uh, sort of cohort there, there, were, there was not enough attention being paid to uh, social justice or environmental regs uh, in that piece of legislation. So, you know, we were young and idealistic and we were banging on desks and, and demanding that uh, that that particular piece of legislation uh, be reflective of the values that we thought were uh, important for it to contain. Cool. Soraya, switching gears a little bit. Uh, what does like a day in the kitchen look like for you these days? So some of the some of the time is uh, very directed and focused and strategic, and then other time is playful and creative. And you know the happy spot is when those two 
get married and work together. So I, I get the opportunity to work with our ingredients. I get the opportunity to make something at home, taste something in a restaurant and come back and play and see if I can recreate it here. Um, but it's also a lot of work actually done around current recipes, how to optimize current recipes, how to make sure that everything is um, exactly as we want it every single day. So we taste every single product that we have on our production line. We taste it. We, we pull beginning, middle, and end of a production run. We want to make sure that there's consistency of flavor, consistency of ingredients, consistency in weight, so that there is not variation throughout a day's run. So. It, it is from the creative side of innovating new products that you'll see in a year or two to the day-to-day looking at what we're doing right now that's going to hit the market, you know, next week. What are some of your uh, culinary influences? Ooh, I'm curious. Like you, you mentioned going out to, to eat and trying to replicate a recipe. Like, uh, yeah, where, well, where, what do you gravitate towards? So my, my, Personal background is pretty varied. My dad was from Iran. Uh, I have actually done a Persian dish for Backpackers Pantry. It was called Persian Peach Stew. I think the name was not that attractive to people, (laughs) but I took so much pride in taking this dish that I have grown up with that we would make every spring and turning it into a Backpackers Pantry dish that was so delicious and actually... Um, we had people traveling through the Middle East write to us and say, oh my God, that dish tastes exactly like the real food that we tasted in either a restaurant or somebody's home. So that to me is like the the best compliment that I could get. Um, That being said, we are in Colorado. And so chili, red chili and green chili is kind of a big deal here in the Southwest. We've gotten an opportunity to use hatch green chili in a few of our meals that's exciting. I mean, for me personally, also get an opportunity to tour our chili farms in, and they're not our farms, but it's the vendor that we get the chilies from in Southern New Mexico. So to see that entire process of seeing the chili in the field, and then seeing it, you know, go through its process through their manufacturing facility, and then using it here in our company, you know, that's exciting to me. I I can see the entire life cycle. So definitely the Southwest is, a, is a, an influence for me. Um, my personal family heritage is an influence for me. And then also, you know, all the, the great restaurants that we have in Boulder. Have you ever kind of like thought of a recipe that just like completely did not work for Backpackers Pantry's like format? Like what like doesn't work as a freeze dried meal? Are there some kind of like ingredients that it's just like we just stay away from those entirely? So freeze drying itself is such an interesting process. Uh, it is it is literally only removing water from that ingredient. So everything else remains the same. The color, the nutrients, the flavor, everything stays spot on. What we have used in, well, I've played with internally is um, higher fat content ingredients, such as an avocado. There, you know, Freeze-dried avocado is actually a thing, and I can see a really valid application for it. But we've tried to then rehydrate avocado and use it in our in our meals. It just didn't translate into something that we felt we could be proud of and offer to the consumer. So the higher fat content um, in an ingredient affects it when it's freeze-dried because the fat doesn't 
doesn't get adjusted at all in the freeze drying process. But no, like really, we if you can think about it, we can make it. I love that. Yeah, I'm trying to like brainstorm. If I have any ideas, I'll let you guys know. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> but I think like what you have working in your in your favor is that uh, most of the people eating your meals are are probably pretty hungry because they're probably pretty tired uh, from hiking or adventure and all day. So uh, someone told me that the best the best spice is hunger. <laughs> but yeah. oh wow, I, I would say I would say there's something to that. Sorry to interrupt. Um, but there's also these, uh, we hear these stories of folks that are doing it also just, uh, you know, every day friends that, um, you know, are living van life and they always keep a couple of bags of food in their pantry for those times when they just want to throw rehydrate some food, as opposed to, you know, going through the trouble of, uh, of making a, a full blown out meal or even pantry, my own kids, you know, instead of, adding uh stuff to a box of annie's mac and cheese they're just adding water to our three cheese mac which is a dynamite product so there's all these other applications and i myself every single day this is no kidding i eat our food every single day all day long um and i can tell you it's just as good when you feel absolutely satiated uh as when i'm in the back country and need those calories and need them fast it delivers in both circumstances right because you guys aren't like you're you're not adding or subtracting anything from the food. It's healthy food to begin with and freeze drying. It doesn't take away from that. Yeah. That is something actually that really drew me to this, um, this, this company and, and the work that Sarai is doing is I, I was not that familiar with the freeze dry process. And the fact that even though as Sarai said, the water is out of the, the, when you freeze dry, you never, um, be, in between it being frozen and dry, you, the moisture in there never turns to the water state. It's a process called sublimation. So it goes from frozen to gas. And that process uh, results in 97% nutrient retention, 100% color retention, 100% flavor retention. It's why these meals are so good. You mentioned um, some different applications uh, for the meals. And I know off air, we talked about one idea you had that I thought was was pretty smart. Uh, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, there's a whole bunch. So, well, I mean, we it's can probably spawned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, I spend a lot of time uh, in the backcountry and outdoors. So, if I'm on a river in Wyoming fly fishing with my buddies uh, and we're floating... I always have, you know, a little pocket rocket with me and, and a little bit of gas and so that I can um, heat up uh, and have a great, you know, pad thai with chicken on the river when you're freezing your cakes off is so good. Uh, similarly, if I'm, you know, my family and I spend a lot of time floating rivers and camping on Riverside um, and we're super conscious about uh, weight uh, because the, the, the less weight I have uh, dedicated to gear and food, the more of my family members I can bring on my boat. So uh, all of our gears is super lightweight and having being able to take backpackers there and be riverside eating this really, really good food is dynamite. Anyway, we also are in, in Colorado and, uh, you know, my wife was a ski instructor and we're all skiers, my kids is, uh, included. Um, and I've spent a lot of time as a result in, uh, in ski lodges, you know, when my little when my kids were little, they're, you know, basically fully formed adults at this point. Um, we would go to that lodge and they'd warm up and I'd spend 30 bucks on a hamburger and fries and it'd drive me crazy. Um, so we got to thinking and one of the, there are other folks in the office who has, who have had this same experience. Why not throw some, uh, backpackers pantry in my backpack 
you already have the hot water there from the cocoa or the coffee machine. It's cheaper, way more nutrient dense, way better for you. You know what you're going to get. You're not waiting in line. Um, that just feels like an obvious use education, obvious to us because we spend so much time on skis out here. Uh, but that's just one example, honestly, of, of a million where if the product is this good and this convenient, there's lots of different applications for it, not just through hiking the PCT. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, the climate, uh, particularly about how like climate change has affected uh, the food industry. Because um, I mean, that's something I think a lot about a lot. And I'm wondering, um, as people that work in that industry, uh, what you can share about what that experience has been like. So, um, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and, um, you know, this is all really close to home for us, living in the arid Southwest. I'll give a little plug to a woman who I've never met, uh, but who I follow called Western Water Girl, uh, who does a great job of describing the, the crisis we're in. Uh, I happen to have a brother who works for the Freshwater Trust, and I have endless conversations with him about what we're going to do about um, this problem of ours. Particularly, you think about you know the water coming off of these Rockies that, that Soraya and I can see from our window right now. Um, so much of it is going to food production in this country, um, which is of course necessary. But what are the ways for us? You know, how can we be thoughtful about how that water is used for food? So um, to the point where now, um, for the first time in 2023, we're going to add as a vertical of our philanthropic spending, fresh water, uh, because it's such a, you know, with the Colorado Compact coming up, it's really prominent in our conversations out West right now. So I think that'll be the, uh, the place where you see that manifest uh, in terms of our giving in the uh, immediate term and where, uh, you know, our stewardship efforts are going to show up uh, more meaningfully uh, in the near term. Anything you'd add to that? So what I would add is that um, we are working with real ingredients that have come from real farmers and their challenge is always going to be water and climate change. And so the, the availability of some of the ingredients that we may have taken for granted in the past has really been a challenge. I mean, there, there might be times when we may not be able to get particular ingredients, and that's due to real-life occurrences that we can all just turn on our news and see that these farmers are not getting the water that they need to get for um, the crops that, is, that are their livelihood. You know, I will also add, which is kind of a tangent, um, geopolitical is a huge, has a huge impact on food. And when you can't get ingredients, I mean, Aleppo pepper is really from Aleppo. and when a country or a region is under siege, there will be ingredients that will be less available. And we have become, as a society, so used to having everything available at our fingertips. You know, we might have to understand that it's, it's real-life challenges that our globe is experiencing that are going to affect how we eat and the products that we get to use. Does that come into play when you're thinking about recipes, like what ingredients um, you use? Like whether or not they're going to be available? Not really, because, you know, I'm working with what we have on hand. I'm working with um, what I have available at the moment to develop with. Um, I, you know, obviously can't look into the future and understand what's not going to be available. You know, luckily, we have a pretty extensive network. And if we can't get it here, we can probably get it from there kind of thing. Um, but it is, it is just the, um, 
the hustling around that to make sure that we can get that product out to people that has kind of shifted, you know, frankly. Are there some companies that you guys kind of like look up to? I think that like, I keep on making the comparison uh, in my head to like Patagonia. I'm curious if that if that registers at all. You know, Patagonia is such a game changer in the outdoor industry. I think we all look up to Patagonia as kind of leading the path of what's even possible. Um, obviously, everybody's incredibly grateful to the the stewardship that Yvonne Chouinard, through his company Patagonia, has offered to all of us and how we can rethink how we do business. Um, but there are so many companies, even on a smaller level, that are doing really, really good work. I just feel grateful that we get to learn about these companies, that we get to partner with them. And it might be people doing work just in their own backyard because that's where they can affect the most change. Um, and so we try and work locally, but we also try and work regionally and we also want to work globally in you know, how we make an impact on this globe. Dwayne, anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I would totally. Uh, Patagonia absolutely resonates. In fact, it's kind of a joke in my family because uh, I exclusively shop there for my apparel. Uh, and I'm pretty simple, right? I've got five shirts for the winter and five shirts for the summer. Every one of them is Patagonia. Not because, you know, uh, Patagonia is known for its fashion sense and I am certainly not known for mine, um, but only because I, I so cherish the values that are resident in that organization. And, uh, and Sarai is right. They're absolutely resident in here. And that I think that inspiration, um, you know, it, it's, we get to look at, look out into the world and see that. But more often than not, we see that, I see that anyway, in more of the nonprofit world where people are, where that is exactly um, why they're doing what they're doing. And I think, you know, when I look at, at this business and I look at the last 71 years of this business, it's incredible to me how parallel the stewardship imperative is uh, in this company to the, you know, the financial and business imperative. They are on equal footing here. It's super inspiring. Yeah. I Well, it sounds like Backpackers Pantry is in, in good hands with you. As we wrap up here, uh, I'm curious... What are some like tangible goals you guys have for the next like year or so uh, as a business that we maybe haven't like hit on yet? Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you, we are for the first time in 71 years putting together our uh, an annual operating plan that, you know, will be more reflective of, of as we said before, uh, a professionally run organization. One of those objectives is to be recognized as best places to work. Um, not because we need our horns tooted or anything. Um, but the story uh, of this this wonderful uh, family that has created this wonderful business hasn't been told. Uh, and I think it's important that it be told so that people really have an emotional connection to the food that's in that bag. It's not just great nutrient-dense calories. There's real meaning. It's emotionally evocative um, substance in that bag, not just calories, to me anyway. So I would say the objective that um, uh, that I would point to is being number one on um, best places to work because honestly, I cannot wait to get in here every day. It, it's super exciting to me, and you know now at this point I've been here for a couple of months. I know a little bit about everybody here. I got and stopped by, uh, you know, everybody's desk or their their spot on the production floor and, and say hello. And it's it really does have that family feel, and so it's important, I guess, for just a, as a secondary, making sure that uh, we preserve that uh, that family culture. 
Soraya, anything uh, to If add? you could see me, I'm bowing, well, I'm bowing down to Dwayne. Here, here, exactly what he said. Yes, absolutely. 100% on board. Awesome. Well, keep up the good work. I'm uh, looking forward to eating uh, many of your meals in the future. Um, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks so much. It's a real privilege uh, and we really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to both Soraya and Dwayne for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.